Hello and welcome to San Diego News Fix. I'm Abby Hamblin, filling in for Christy Totten. Today we'll be talking to reporter Gary Worth about a new push in San Diego to provide outreach to the city's homeless community. The project will bring together multiple service providers and behavioral health experts downtown every day from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. for three or four weeks. We'll also talk to Garrett Williams, who does outreach work for Father Joe's Villages. But first, the news. The San Diego Police Department is facing criticism from the city auditor for steering victims of vandalism to use a specific vendor to board up after these incidents. The audit also found that the police department does not have a policy in place for recommending vendors to the victims. The audit was initiated in response to businesses saying the company recommended by SDPD, 1-800-BOARD-UP, has significantly overcharged for their services. The owner of the company says criticism of his company is misplaced and that he often struggles to get paid for the work. In one of the latest signs of the post-pandemic era in San Diego, the Geisel Library at UC San Diego will be reopening Tuesday. The inverted pyramid-shaped building will be open for 300 students, faculty, and staff at a time. The university plans to reopen the library to full capacity on September 13th. Coaster commuter trains will also be more available to the public with a lot more trips beginning this fall. For San Diegans hoping to catch a ride, that means more daily runs and shorter waits between service. Ridership between Oceanside and San Diego declined by 90% last year after California initiated its stay-at-home orders for the pandemic. A variety of factors contributed to the decline in coaster riders, including temporary suspension of some weekday trains and all Saturday and Sunday service. The district resumed its full pre-pandemic service on May 29th, including special trains for Padres games at Petco Park. So today we have with us two special guests for San Diego News Fix. We're going to be talking about a push for more visibility with homeless outreach and just a specific way of doing homeless outreach. We have Gary Worth, a reporter from the Union Tribune, who covers homelessness issues as well as um, communities in North County. And we have with us Garrett Williams, who does outreach for Father Joe's Villages. Uh, Welcome to the show, both of you. Hey, Abby. Hey, Abby. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for joining. So, Gary, why are you um, looking into homeless outreach at this time? You have a new story in the Union Tribune about it. Is there something unique going on? Yes, and I'll have a new story tomorrow, uh, too, about what's going on. Yeah, there's uh, homeless outreach has been evolving, I've noticed, over the past uh, few years. Uh, uh, There's been a push nationwide to uh, maybe get away from law enforcement-led homeless outreach uh, and uh, right now in San Diego, uh, the new thing that they've been um, doing is to try to have uh, social workers uh, that are going to, uh, you know, take the lead. The focus now is to really stay in a geographic area, get to know the people, and uh, Father Joseph has taken it one step further where they're uh, also focusing on people who uh, might be the hardest people to reach. There's a lot of services already for the uh, homeless population downtown, and they're looking at the people who are chronically homeless and who uh, might turn down offers. So now what happened today is the city, out of concerns about a growing number of encampments that are pretty dense downtown, uh, they're launching a very um, 
intense uh, homeless outreach with Father Joe's and Alpha Project and downtown business associations and um, and uh, who am I leaving out? Uh, uh, oh, Path, yeah, and Path are, uh, of course they're uh, they're part of the team and they're going to focus on downtown like uh, Monday through uh, Friday, uh, like an all day, every day, uh, five days a week outreach. Um, and they're also teaming up with uh, County Behavioral Health people and National Association for Mental Illness uh, people as advocates for people with mental illness to try to find how can we help these people? What do they need? Also working with the Housing Commission. So I've never seen anything as intense as what they just launched this morning where um, there's uh, just an army of outreach workers on uh, multi-levels, uh, just targeting the people who are living in these encampments downtown and the number of people downtown is like at uh, 1100. It's about as much as it was in 2017 when we had a Hep A outbreak among the homeless community. So that's a big concern. We don't want to do that again. So that's why uh, I think that was a, uh, the driving force on trying to do something different. And Gary can um, much better talk to you about what the experience is like for people who are going out and trying to target that population. Yeah, Garrett, so you've been doing this, I understand, a few years now. Um, like Gary said, this is going to be kind of a day-to-day -day sort of unique push in one area. Um, I think this is a great opportunity for people to hear from someone who regularly does this sort of work. You know, we all see homelessness in our communities, uh, but what is it like to actually go up and try and make a difference in the lives of uh, these people? So what have you experienced kind of in your work as someone who does outreach? Uh, it's difficult work. Of course it is, but it's, it's very rewarding. Um, I've been working for the EOT, which is the Enhanced Outreach Team Program for Father Joe's for the last year. And that was kind of, it was my understanding that it was a pilot of this new approach for outreach. So we were told to assign 15 people on our caseload of the most chronically homeless individuals, people that have been on the streets for the longest that don't want to engage with us that, you know, don't really have a lot of hope left. And those people are really hard to get through when you're down and out in that sort of position. And um, it took that year really for us to work on our own patients and understand that this is going to be, you know, a personal challenge for us as well. But the success that we've seen out of it so thus far, um, Gary wrote an amazing article. I appreciate, you know, how well media is taking this because from the outside looking in, it could look really badly as far as, you know, low success numbers. Uh, I believe only four success stories out of that year of EOT um, came out of that. But as he put in the article, you know, we're targeting the people that have been on the streets for the longest that are going to need that time invested in them to really build a case plan and build trust in between each other so we can work together to figure out a case plan because it all comes down to client choice. You know, if they don't want to get off the streets, they're not going to. If they don't want shelter, that's their freedom. That's their right. But as long as we stay patient, as long as we, you know, keep having hope, I think this is going to work really well. Yeah. And in, and in your experience, do you think this sort of targeted um, round the clock, a geo-specific uh, sort of plan will make a difference or is that different than what you've already been doing? Um, well, now that 
all outreach workers are going to be moving towards this model. I think it's going to work a lot better because sometimes we'll overlap services between service providers. You know, people can staff split and, you know, have two different case plans working with two different people and things can get confusing very quickly. So by this new approach, it's really bringing us all together as service providers to take that coordination a lot more seriously and talk to each other and, you know, sit down on a weekly basis and have case conferencing if need be to talk about one specific person, you know, I'll pitch in ideas on, okay, he need, he told me he needed this, he needed that. And, um, you know, build that case plan for this subpopulation of people, because we are targeting a very specific subpopulation. Um, of course, everybody is going to have access to the same services, but, others might have to actually seek those out. We will only be bringing to the services to the people that really need it and that cannot come to us for whatever reason, you know, serious mental illness or, um, you know, addiction issues or mental health issues. It's our job to take the services to them now and focus on them. Are there any stories or sort of recent experiences that stand out to you that would help people understand what it's really like to do this work? Yeah. Um, Gary included it in his article about um, one individual, and we're very strict about our confidentiality. We don't want to, you know, get too personal with every, anyone's stories. It's their story to tell. But I can tell you a little bit about this case without saying any names, of course. Um, this individual had spent most of his life incarcerated. He felt like he had been burned by the system. Um, once COVID hit, luckily we were in a position to put him in a motel because he's wheelchair bound, he's very, very vulnerable as far as getting COVID. So for that year almost that he was in the motel, we had finally come up with three separate housing options for him, all permanent supportive housing, but the rooms were kind of too small for his liking. And, you know, me from the outside looking in, I got super frustrated saying, you know, this is permanent supportive housing. Why would you turn something like this down? And in his eyes, you know, he's been burned by the system for a long time. And now the system is reaching out and trying to help him. But, you know, he's in a wheelchair and it was kind of difficult for him to maneuver in the room. And I can understand. And of course, it's an intimidating thing moving into your own housing complex after years on the streets, years of incarceration, you have to relearn everything about housing. You know, it's, it's a big responsibility being on a lease. And, um, you know, he declined those three housing options and I didn't hear from him for about three months. And he was, he was really upset with me, but very recently he reached back out and he's, you know, his condition has worsened since he's been out on the streets. He realizes that you know, he's going to need to lower his expectations um, because, you know, we do have very limited resources. We would like to be able to offer more, but this is this is just what we're working with. And I think he's at a point where he understands that. And he's talking to me again. And personally, it, it changed me as a person, you know, that gave me a lot of hope. And you know, people can always change no matter what we assume about someone. So it's very, very inspiring work. And, and I've heard many stories like that too, of uh, talking to outreach workers, talking to, well, talking to homeless people and, you know, formerly homeless people I've talked to and their lives have changed. And a lot of times it's in one moment that one, and I hear that from outreach workers too, that, uh, you know, try to be there for that one moment when, you know, they're going to finally uh, 
decide I don't want to live like this anymore. And I, I've seen a lot of challenges uh, though for what outreach workers face. People just don't want to give up their lifestyle. They don't want to give up drugs. They don't want to go in a shelter. And then one day, you know, it's like some, somebody gets through to them. And uh, I've, I've talked to a lot of um, formerly homeless people who now are housed and, you know, and it's a challenge. It's, it's, it's tough work. You know, I, I know that you, uh, the, the work that you guys do, though it's, it would be easy. You know, there wouldn't be a lot of homeless people out there. And a lot of, I, I often say that the person that tells you they know how to solve um, this homeless issue, they're the ones that don't know what they're talking about because I've, I've never heard a silver bullet, you know, and I think uh, Mayor Gloria today mentioned that the, you know, the pathway for people to get, um, to become homeless is, um, is all unique and sometimes the pathway to overcome homelessness is also unique. So you have to find out what that person needs. Oh, uh, also I wanted to mention a couple of things I didn't say before. It's like, um, as of today, they've got a hundred additional shelter beds for the people that uh, are going to be um, the subject of this outreach and they want to expand it uh, to 300 additional beds um, at four city funded shelters and beginning in August they want to have something called safe havens which would be uh, an alternative to shelters for people who need mental health and drug addiction um, counseling uh, though it'd be much smaller maybe 25 rooms three different locations that they haven't picked yet but that is the whole, is the same idea that they're following. It's like, we got to come up with different um, ideas to get people off the street and get people into some kind of help. So um, that's a new concept that's coming uh, to San Diego um, in about a month or so. Check out these stories on SanDiegoUnionTribune.com. I'm Abby Hamblin, and this has been your San Diego News Fix. See you tomorrow.